welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a risk management firm specialising in financial crime. Our aim of these podcasts is to bring you interesting news, interviews and recordings of our exclusive events from the world of financial crime. Survival Financial Inclusion This podcast is brought to you as part of a key industry-wide research project commissioned by the UK Independent Anti-Slavery Commissioner and in partnership with Tribe Freedom Foundation. It is one of a series that we will be releasing that addresses modern slavery and human trafficking and the financial sector. In this episode, we talk with representatives from HSBC, Barclays, Snowdrop, Callian and Migrant Help UK about access to bank accounts for survivors of modern slavery in the UK and what the financial services sector should be doing as a whole to help support victims. Hello everyone and um, yeah, thank you all so much for joining us today. This group, this focus group, as you know, forms part of a 12-month research project that we're working on. Um, commissioned by Dame Sarah Thornton, UK Independent Anti-Slavery Commissioner, and jointly led by Tribe Freedom Foundation and Themis Financial Crime Agency. Um, The report, A Call to Action for the Financial Sector, is working to improve understanding of how the financial sector can help to mitigate the risks of modern slavery and human trafficking. And also we're aiming to bring together practical steps that financial institutions can take to help tackle modern slavery. So in this session in particular, we're looking at the role of survivor financial inclusion initiatives in the prevention of modern slavery. And our goal for the for the focus group is to help facilitate discussion um, between kind of key industry leaders, further inform our research and, and as I said, help engage the most relevant actors in our work to, to provide examples of best practice um, and set an example for, for the wider financial industry. So before we kick off with some of our key questions for discussion, um, I'd like to introduce our speakers. We've got Lara, Kat, Lou, Avril and Sam, and I will invite you all to um, give us a brief introduction on who you are, what you do, who you're working for and how you're involved in helping to promote survivor financial inclusion. So if I um, just work my way around the around the virtual room, um, Catherine, I've got you up first. If you could give us a little intro. Hi, everybody. My name is Catherine Townsend and I work in Barclays. I work in the central Barclays UK customer vulnerability sort of strategy team. And I've been working with our partners in FinCrime and on the frontline leadership to help promote um, awareness of human trafficking, modern slavery and what we're doing to help survivors get access to banking as part of our financial inclusion and customer vulnerability programme. Thanks, Catherine. Um, And Sam, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name's Sam Lakesmith. I work at a charity called Migrant Help, which is based in Dover in Kent. I'm the regional operations manager for Modern Slavery and VPRS. Um, So I manage a team of advisors who are based in the Dover head office, also in our office in Stratford. And also we're recently setting up in Oxford. And we are a subcontractor for the Salvation Army um, to provide advice, guidance, support to potential victims of trafficking and modern slavery who have entered into the national referral mechanism. And part of our work is, you know, with regards to ensuring that they can resettle and feel empowered, have autonomy over their finances. So we have been liaising quite a lot now with HSBC with regards to assisting survivors to set up bank accounts and liaising with the Salvation Army via a letter. And we've had some really successful results from that so far. Thanks, Sam. And Lara, if you want to go next. Hi, everyone. I'm Lara Bundock. I'm the CEO of the Snowdrop Project. Um, We are a charity based up in South Yorkshire. We operate providing holistic long-term support for reintegration of survivors of trafficking. We work outside of the NRM, so our referrals usually come from NRM providers um, for people who are about to exit and need ongoing support in order to reintegrate into the community and set up lives going forwards. Um, So a big part of 
what we do, particularly within casework, um, is looking at that long term sustainability in terms of finances. And part of that includes looking at setting up bank accounts for people. Thanks, Laura. And um, Lou, if you want to go next. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. My name's Lou Walker. I'm a vulnerability um, financial inclusion and vulnerability manager. Sorry, just getting my head around that. I'm new to the role. I've been doing it permanently for three months now, um, but I've been doing this um, role for the last 14 months on secondment. Um, I have helped um, set up and promote the survivor bank service that we offer within HSBC, working with Migrant Help, Salvation Army, Callian and Snowdrop too, um, all to be able to offer their clients bank accounts. Thank you, Lou and Avril. Last but not least. Um, hi everyone, my name's Avril Sharp. I work for um, a small charity based in West London called Callianne. We provide advice, advocacy and support to um, those who enter the UK um, on a overseas domestic worker visa or who um, understood that they were coming to the UK to work as a domestic worker. Um, some of those who um, contact us for support, we identify um, as having been exploited in domestic servitude and forced labour. So in our role as a first responder to the NRM and with the survivor's consent, we will um, refer them to the NRM and then help them navigate that process. Um, similar to the other NGOs on the call, we provide long-term holistic support. And as part of that, um, we have accompanied many of our clients down the high street without success um, to try and open bank accounts. So um, I think it was... Oh, Lou, you might need to um, confirm this for me, but um, maybe uh, in 2018 is when Callianne was first introduced to um, HSBC and Lou and her team at um, Bishopsgate in central London. Um, and we are really pleased to um, have been able to accompany a number of uh, those workers or survivors that we have supported um, to be able to successfully open bank accounts. Thank you so much, Avril. And I think for the benefit of our listeners, um, we'd like to share a quick overview of just the scale of modern slavery in the UK and some of the challenges which survivors face when, when working to rebuild their lives following exploitation and exactly what it is we mean when we talk about survivor financial inclusion. Um, so Avril, maybe you'd like to just um, kind of kick us off there with a bit of information from, from your side to, to kind of highlight that for the listeners who are not so aware of the challenges. Of course. So um, beginning maybe with the with the scale, um, government statistics from 2019 show that there were 10,627 potential victims of slavery identified in 2019. I've taken that figure from end of year statistics for victims who provided their consent and entered into the national referral mechanism, which is the UK's framework for identifying and providing support to survivors. The actual number is likely to be significantly higher because many victims are unable or reluctant to report to authorities or may not be successfully um, recognised even if they did. Um, the, the latest estimates that I've found have come from the Global Slavery Index in 2018 that says that there are 136,000 people living in non-slavery in the UK. Now, many of these um, survivors are excluded from financial services due to barriers they face in opening a bank account. They often get turned away due to a lack of documentation, which has been confiscated by those who have been exploiting them. Um, for many survivors, uh, they only have a piece of paper which is issued to them by the Home Office, which says that their case is being considered under the NRM. Uh, other barriers include not being able to provide proof of address because they have no bills in their name and in some cases can't disclose their address if they're in temporary accommodation, maybe sofa surfing amongst friends or um, uh, in some cases accommodated in a safe house as well. So that's just a kind of brief overview. Thanks. Thank you, Avril. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's clear that the scale of modern slavery across the UK is is huge and also widely underestimated. Um, that's actually something that we've found in some of our research that we've been doing, polling financial industry um, employees, is just how um, is how much the 
the number of people that are in modern slavery is underestimated. So it's great to kind of highlight that. And um, thank you for kind of giving us a little introduction there. Um, and I think, um, Sam, if perhaps if you could give us um, an insight into your experience working with survivors and how you think financial inclusion can help survivors to regain independence um, and the kind of importance yeah. of it there. Yeah, of course. I think I'd probably like to start with a little case study, actually. It was one I thought of yesterday. Um, I think I did one of the first appointments at HSBC, which was down in Dover um, with one of our clients. And I I went there sort of thinking it would take an hour or so, you know, sort of blotted that out in my diary, thinking it might take some time to get things sorted. We went there and actually the appointment took about 20 minutes in total. Um, which I thought was fantastic, A for obviously for the client and also C for us as well, and um, to kind of know in terms of capacity how much we need, in terms of how much time it takes. Also, they gave the client a little welcome bag as well to HSBC, which I thought was really nice. Um, and, you know, offered to that client that if they needed any further support um, with the account once it was opened, once they'd received the card and the PIN number, that they would be happy, you know, for, for that person to just drop in as and when. And I think for me, the, the moment that I realized how important this was to survivors was when the card actually arrived and he actually said to me, oh, is this for me? Do I keep this? And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, that like the privileges that we have where we have our own accounts and we just use them completely independently and autonomously and don't have to provide them to anyone else. It's our money. We do what we like with it. So I think that was my sort of first main experience of using the survivor bank account with HSBC and why I've really pushed it for the advisors that I support and manage in the team to make sure that that is offered to other victims within sort of safe house provision or within outreach as well. I know that the number of branches is increasing um, in terms of who has had the training um, with the staff to be able to actually sort of open those accounts. Um, so I think just from an empowerment point of view and to kind of feel almost an identity back as well. You know, this is my card. This belongs to me and this is my money and I can access it, you know, whenever I want and however I want to. I think it's so, so important to to have that kind of future for them and to hopefully prevent re-exploitation as well if they kind of learn about their finances and how to budget. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's so it's so powerful to hear how. That case study how you know just the act of being given a card is such a monumental occasion when for other people it would seem like such a kind of everyday um occurrence so yeah really helpful to to see that and um and lara i, I would be great to hear from you as well just um just briefly on your understanding of the importance of financial inclusion for survivors and the role that it can play in their long-term recovery I don't know if there's actually much I can add to what they both said, but um, the exactly as Sam's basically explained, the importance of having a bank account means that people have, it sounds really simple, have a place to put their money. Um, so one of the issues that we see long term, because we do have people who come to us after the NRM who haven't been able to set up a bank account, that's often if they've been asylum seekers or um, things that had those kind of experiences during the NRM um, and difficulties that we previously found were they got caught in a catch-22 particularly if they were setting up new benefits and the benefits wouldn't be given to them unless they had a bank account but the bank account couldn't be opened unless they already had the benefits starting and so they get caught in as I explained a catch-22 where they can't receive the money even though they're entitled to the money, um, which then means people become very vulnerable to being targeted by further exploitation or loan sharks um, or just simply taking advantage um, of people. And if they don't have somewhere to put the money again, they may have some cash um, from different circumstances. Again, we've, we've found that people start doing 
cash in hand jobs but then that becomes risky of just having that cash in their house um and again it makes them vulnerable to to people saying oh i'll help you with this or you can pay for this um rather than actually having it in a in a secure location um and so being able to access that very easily without barriers um is really important and reducing the length of time that it takes for people to be actually able to set that up as well reduces the chance that people are going to be retargeted for exploitation Avril, I saw you, there's something you'd like to add there. Um, yeah, just to build on um, what Sam and Lara have already said, but I remember one of my very first um, survivors that I accompanied to um, Bishopsgate um, actually had been awarded compensation um, as a result of his trafficking experiences. And for a long time, he wasn't able to access that because he didn't have a bank account. So money that was rightfully his, which was designed to try to help him rebuild his life, he wasn't able to access until until we were made aware that HSBC had this, this scheme. Um, so just another thing that I wanted to flag as well, why it's so important for survivors to be able to access uh, financial services. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that um, kind of leads us on um, really nicely to, to, to look at um, the work that you're doing, Lou, and to, to hear a bit of an, um, an overview of, of the, the way that you've set up the HSBC Survivor Bank account and, and how you are supporting survivors to access financial services in the UK. Okay, thank you. Thank you, guys, for all that pre-introduction. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess by ultimately we are um, providing basic bank accounts to survivors um, and along with that as Sam mentioned and, and as Avril mentioned as well we do also provide some banking support so um, the the way that we provide the account is by is by using a letter the um, the individuals that are working with um, with the charities are provided a letter to confirm that they are under their care, they're in the NRM or they're in, in Snowdrop's case on the, the other side now, um, and that they they provide us a name address um, and, and just bring the letter in, accompanied by the support worker and their ID. Um, and then we go through a basic bank account application. During that meeting, um, the 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 staff that undertake this have been selected um, we, we've got champions in each of our branches. We've currently got 41 branches live with this, and we have a minimum of three champions in each branch that are, um, especially trained, probably not the right word, but are, are targeted to be able to give these people the time and um, the the information that they want and how that however they want to play the meeting as Sam said she was she was given a an expectation of an hour because that's what we we put out there as it depends each person's different and we exceeded expectations because we did it within 20 minutes but some people can be longer some can be you know it depends what questions they've got um, and then at the end of it they're given their account number straight away but we also do a bit of a a bit of a banking session with them so that they understand we're there to help, but also um, go through the basics of banking, what a direct debit standing order is, things like that, so that they have an idea of, of even how to start out with the bank account. Um, we have created now a basic banking guide, which is, is now available on our website, but also will be given in paper form to the, to the survivors as well, so they can take that away. And I also know that then they'll carry on working with their support workers to help them understand further how to budget and things like that. Um, the great story that Sam talked about there is one that always, um, always makes me feel quite teary because it is the first one that when we sent Dover live, they were the first one to come back with the feedback to say this has happened. And it's the story that always sticks in my mind. Um, but what was so great about it was what we were trying to achieve. We are opening bank accounts, but the relationship that we've established is is the key. If we'd have not gone about that in the right way, that individual wouldn't have felt that he could have come back in and asked us any questions. Or, you know, we've we've had others that call in every week just to say hi because they can now and they feel confident enough to do it. And I think that's amazing um, that they've gone from being in this life to then move to being scared of everything to then moving on, getting a job and and etc. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, oh, sorry, carry on. Do. Right. No, 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 you carry on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, it's great to hear um, how, yeah, how um, you've taken such a kind of holistic approach so far and 
um, it's clearly having a real impact with the with the charities you're working with and the survivors you've been able to support. Um, and Catherine, we'd we'd love to hear about um, a bit about how the Barclays initiative came about um, and kind of where you're at with that as well, and and how your um, program is progressing. Sure. So. When I look back on my notes ahead of this call, I was reflecting on how long this sort of um, ambition to address this really important issue has been going on. I think it was back in 2017 that we first started working with Stop the Traffic to understand some of the issues and see what we could do in this space long before sort of the FAST programme and survivor banking became part of our operation. So we've done um, a range of things in this time. I think the difference um, between Barclays and, and HSBC is that it's not wrapped up as sort of a separate type of account or process. It's part of our financial inclusion approach. So whether you're a victim of abuse, whether you're homeless, um, whatever your circumstances are, we want to welcome the opportunity to chat to customers and to help you get a bank account. That's the, probably the um, the biggest opportunity, but it's also one of the biggest challenges. It's how do you help frontline staff, large volumes of frontline staff, understand what they should be looking for? You might have very um, inexperienced or junior members of staff who are the ones meeting potential customers who might not have life experience. I certainly didn't know the scale of this. I remember um, seeing a keynote speech from Ruth Dernley, the CEO of Stop the Traffic a few years ago, and I was just blown away by the scale. And it really um, drove me to want to get involved and do more, hence sort of trying to work with the fin crime teams and to see how we can embed this as part of our vulnerable customer approach. So um, we've done various things from looking at sort of smaller pilots in, in hotspot areas of Peterborough and Birmingham and, and, and different areas of what we can do to help the teams um, know what to look for, spotting signs, working with the police um, in, in a community based approach. Um, um, but then, look, you know, rolling that out more more widely so that we know where to signpost colleagues to if they get a customer who might have non-standard documentation or, or recognising that not everybody will come in with the utility um, statement and the passport, because that is the first thing that happens all the time. Somebody comes in, oh, I want to set up a bank account. Great. Have you got your ID in this? And, you know, how would that make you feel if you're a customer or a potential customer who doesn't who doesn't have that? You know, how? so I think it's from that very first moment of somebody walking into the branch. How can you set the tone um, through empathy and awareness that um, it's, you know, it's OK. It's not a blanket. No, we, we want to work with you. Um, to help you get access to a basic bank account and whether that's through one of the charities that we partner with so through Salvation Army or Hope for Justice then we want to try and help get documentation if you don't have it then and there that can help you access um, basic banking but I think I think more broadly um, you know across the banks this is something where we're really keen to collaborate in the right way learn it's great to hear from HSBC what they're doing um, and to um, see what we can do across the industry to tackle this because the scale is just astounding and there's, there's more that all of us can, can do. Absolutely and um, I guess just on that on that point in terms of more the, the fact that there is so much more that we can all be doing and um, obviously we're all working towards in your in your opinion if you saw kind of how the Barclays program would be progressing over the next three years um, and expanding in the future. What would that what would that look like to you and what would kind of success look like in that form in terms of helping to, to support survivors and, and ultimately prevent exploitation? Well, you've always got the two sides of it, haven't you? You've got the how to spot somebody who's at risk right then and there. And that's equally as important um, to, you know, uh, helping somebody get access to banking so it's also not one size fits all message there's not one thing that you need to know with with um, when talking about this topic it's actually if you've got somebody um, who's who's at risk what do you need to do and I can, can imagine for a frontline staff member that could be extremely frightening if, if you can see somebody in distress or there's a complex circumstance going on there so there's that side to kind of cover and rain, raise awareness of red flags and what to spot um, but then it's also thinking about the, the access to banking side and, and how can we make that a great customer experience. So I think 
it's it sounds really obvious but it's just about continuing to talk about it to raise awareness um there's always so many more comms and initiatives landing in the bank from you know which is great lots of vulnerability is very 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 broad um but this is really important so it's how do you make sure it stays top of top of mind uh, for colleagues in a very competitive environment when there's lots of news landing all the time yeah that's that's um yeah i can see that the internal comms is obviously a really important factor in in the success of these programs um and yeah i mean it'd be interesting to hear a little bit just about some of the work that that you do do to kind of make sure that um you know everyone is aware of the programs and how you help to promote those internal comms yeah, sure. The the Fin Crime team have been doing an amazing job to develop relationships with the front line. And similar to HSBC, we've also got champions. So there's over 100 champions now across the branch network. And what's incredible um, is the amount of passion that this topic invokes. You see um, unprecedented levels of, of support, considering that you might not see huge volumes of um, solutions yet for survivors. I hope that we will get to that point. So it's not that everyone's got personal experience of opening a bank account for a survivor, but as soon as you start to talk about it, um, with people they are driven to want to take action so we've got uh, champions we've um, they have regular newsletters that go out from the thing crime team and the vulnerability team um, they have quarterly uh, conference calls so checking in what's the latest information asking questions we might we might get um, speakers guest speakers from some of our charity partners um, so it's it's a helping to keep it front of mind as well as maybe sharing topical topical things that are going on yeah and um and i, I just okay. turned to the turn to some of the other charities now um lara as working um with snowdrop and the clients that you support what do you think um is you know how best do you think the financial industry could expand the current financial services provisions for survivors and what do you think are the kind of the key drivers for for greater impact in future i think one of the major things is that other banks can learn from the examples that have already been set um, by the two that we just heard about, because it, the more banks that have that accessibility and that ability and that understanding, um, both in terms of financial inclusion for helping people to access bank accounts, but I think there's a, a hand in hand approach of the more that people become aware of financial inclusion for survivors who are recovering, you also then have the same effect of bringing more awareness to looking out for signs and indicators that somebody may also be being trafficked and that the person with them trying to set up a bank account may be exploiting them um, for that. And I think I think bringing financial inclusion into the topics of, of a number of different banks helps to bring that level of awareness. And there is a real need for that because I think bank accounts are one of the major ways that people do find of exploiting um, people. And it may be a secondary ex exploitation. They may be exploiting them for one purpose and then also um, using banks to exploit them for, for financial exploitation in a different way as well. So I think where banks can get involved, there, there's a both and part of that. Um, I think really understanding kind of as this um, podcast is demonstrating, but that by bringing in financial inclusion into the long term planning for survivors really does also help to reduce re-exploitation. Um, and that's also really important to understand. Um, I think some of the major things for um, banks to take on a little bit that we've already heard about, but is those frontline delivery staff um, really understanding about the person to person contact that they have with survivors and making that environment um, non-threatening, um, really understanding. Um, we've had we've had really positive experiences of going to the bank and really having some wonderful um, uh, people, kind of frontline staff opening bank accounts. And similarly, we've we've had um, experiences where we've we've set up meetings in advance. We've we've given information to say this is what we're coming for, and then the person that we met um, wasn't the same person that we talked to on the call and were really difficult, refused to slow down when they were speaking to the person, um, got really frustrated that they didn't really understand, um, and then got so frustrated they just said, you should just bring a friend with you to translate for you, which obviously is 
is is bad practice um and so i think that as well is one of those training pieces of of that's where the both and comes in of when you're helping somebody with financial inclusion it's really important to make that space safe for slowing down explaining what a bank account is explaining the process going through it um over a short uh, over that period of time taking a little bit longer with them but also that importance of actually if somebody has bought a friend to translate for them that actually could also be an indicator you shouldn't be recommending that somebody brings a friend with them um it's really important to understand that that actually could be a sign that somebody is exploiting them um and so we kind of we did follow up with that bank and, and that's where you see the very different practices from banks that are really making an effort to become aware of the issue and to make those environments friendly for people and those who don't yet have it on their radar. Um, and, and so we see a real difference in that. And so I think that's why it's really important for banks to get on board with the idea of financial inclusion and particularly setting up environments that are trauma informed, that are survivor informed um, to really break down some of those, those barriers. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, I wonder, you've kind of summed up very nicely, I guess, some of those kind of key recommendations that you would make um, for financial institutions when they're kind of considering what's important when they're when they're thinking about how to approach um, opening similar initiatives for survivors to open bank accounts. Um, I wonder if Avril or Sam, if you had anything to add on this in terms of kind of key recommendations that you would make from a from a charity perspective to to banks in terms of how they can expand this in the um you know in the best way forward sam if you want to um go ahead yeah i don't really have much more to add um i agree with what lara has said already i think maybe a couple of things in relation to obviously the fact that not all victims do go into the national referral mechanism so there are people out there who are just as vulnerable and maybe more vulnerable um, than those that are in the NRM that still need to get access to bank accounts. Um, at the moment, obviously, the way that it works for us is that we would apply for the letter by the Salvation Army because we obviously have the client with us because they've entered into the NRM and we're a subcontractor providing that support. So obviously that's fine for that cohort, but for those that don't feel ready to enter into the NRM, they're scared of entering the NRM, I think you know that's something sort of worth thinking about as well going forward into the future. How do we support those um, in society that are also vulnerable? I think from my perspective, I think it's helpful as well to build that relationship with the local branches. With um, I mean, we support quite a wide area in terms of our outreach support. Um, so I've been trying to kind of make my way round to the different branches as much as I can. Um, so I was invited to the Canterbury HSBC just to give a, um, a kind of talk on what we do and um, how we can help, um, because I think that's really important for awareness raising and also just to have that charity input on the support side of things. So it's not just, you know, in relation to how many victims there are, it's actually what we're trying to achieve and what we do on a day to day basis with those victims to help them sort of going forward. So I think for me, sort of partnership working is really important. And we're trying to build on that in in Dover and Canterbury. And also I think it's the Stratford branch as well, because we have an office there. So we're slowly sort of getting out there to try and speak to all the branches and build those relationships. Absolutely. And um, I think that's a really important point that um, you mentioned there in terms of you know it's not about necessarily the number of people accessing bank accounts but it's it's about those longer term outcomes and um and how those you know how through partnerships you can keep track of those outcomes and, and look to monitor them over over a longer term um oh <laughs> yes yeah, sam yeah sorry i just forgot to mention i think the other thing as well which i think would be really good obviously we have the initial sort of setup appointment and the offer is there to obviously come back in as and when that survivor needs to um and the gentleman that i alluded to before he actually did do that and in the end you know he came to us and told us that he had a problem and we said oh you know do you want us to go down there with you and sort it out and he said oh no i've done it myself um <laughs> so at that point we were kind of excluded from that but we were really happy about it because it meant that he felt confident to do that but i think perhaps on top of that which would, would be good as well would be to have sort of further sort of follow-up sessions actually um for those clients to attend sort of around budgeting 
you know, once they find a job, you know, what, what the bank can do to assist that and, you know, sort of more around the direct debits when it's actually relevant, because I think at that initial point when they first set it up, it's quite overwhelming sometimes and they don't sort of fully understand everything that that bank account can do. So I think some more sort of emphasis on the follow up side of things as well would be good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, so I mean, Lou, just coming back to you and, and the work that you're doing um, at HSBC, is that um, is that something that you are looking to to monitor and, and kind of keep track of in terms of the longer term outcomes? And, and if so, how do you how do you work to do that as a team? So oh, yeah, some of the some of the things that we've been doing um, in respect of that is the some areas have been doing follow up sessions. We've actually, although we've got the basic banking guide now, um, there's there's um, in the offing, and I, I don't know, COVID's kind of put a lot of things on hold, unfortunately. Um, but there's there's been a design, or there is there is in in plan a financial education pack that we are sharing with the branches to be able to um, offer time um, to go out and and help the charities that they're supporting. Um, obviously, that may be in a new world, in a new way, um, depending how things move forward in the current climate. But yes, we do have tools and we, we are in talks. And we did um, last October um, for Anti-Slavery Day, um, got all the branches involved, got the whole staff across the, the whole of HSBC joining in, understanding um, around what we can do and, and things like the red flags bits and, and stuff. And what happened was some of the branches that aren't actually part of our champion remit have been starting to help with education and things around banking. So, yeah, I like the idea that we could personalise it more for, for the clients that have been in an opened accounts rather than just going in to the charities and offering that, that financial education piece. So, yeah, I'll take that away, Sam, and no doubt we can pick up on that separately anyway. Um, but yeah, I think it's a it's a great point. But yeah, um, moving forward, they're the types of things that we've been talking about with our champions and what else we can do, but also to expand further. Um, it was Sam's request that we expanded into Stratford um, and the Salvation Army have now been talking about Oxford and some other places. So we, we work on a needs base. So we'll have the branches in the areas that need it then to be able to operate. So we'll we, I'm, I'm in regular contact with these guys on where we need to be next and, and that'll be our next point then. Yeah and how I mean how do you look at measuring the impact of, of those um, you know of the, of the program on a wider scale and a branch branch by branch basis? So we we currently monitor um, for how many people they've had through, how many appointments, how many um, accounts. If I'm honest, we don't um, we don't have a target or, or anything set in that. As far as we're concerned, if we help one customer, you know, we've helped a client, we've helped somebody turn their life around. Um, and that's why there's no emphasis on the time when they come in. We just think about if we say approximately an hour then we're giving you know the caseworkers etc a chance to understand. So at the moment we've we've opened um, just over 500 accounts now so far. Um, I check in with the champions every couple of weeks to make sure that if there's any feedback or the charities again we have good relationships with the charities they feedback on that as well. Um, anything that we find that is not working, be that through um, the charity contacts or be it through feedback through um, the branches, we look to change that and, and move things along um, with regard to things like um, internal assessments. We are constantly monitoring to make sure that people have not been caught back up in human trafficking. We've got internal processes for that. And that, again, is changed depending upon what's happening in the world. So we've just recently reviewed it again to make sure that what we're doing is the most up to date. And again, when things change that way, we'll change it for frontline to, to flag in again what um, what they need to be looking out for. And and again, the, the same with what Catherine was saying, um, our teams are a lot more aware now that we have these people who are opening accounts are now also aware of, of people that are coming in that might not look like everything's 100% kosher um, and now then start asking questions and, and doing things about it. Yeah. 
does that help do you need anything else sorry <laughs> no no that's great thank you thank okay. you Lou. um and yeah i mean i guess i was um i was wondering again from from a charity perspective what um you know what what are the kind of the key outcomes that you think um avril um what are the kind of key outcomes and an impacts that these survivor inclusion programs can have on a survivor and and how do you kind of help to support a survivor through that process and, and through a, a longer term um, program for, for recovery? Um, so one of the things that we um, champion at Callianne is for survivors to try and keep themselves um, safe. So one of the things um, that we will assist them to do is to um, uh, a number of our survivors, they receive um, their statements through the post to, to Kellyanne. So um, we will encourage them to come and um, check their posts and review their bank statements and make sure that everything is, is correct. So um, similarly with, you know, having um, a contract of employment, some people have never had their work formalised before. So it's a kind of case of reviewing their documents, making sure they're understanding um, what um, what they might have signed up to with a with a contract of employment, making sure that their wages um, are being deposited when they um, knowing when they can expect their wages, whether it be weekly or, or monthly, and helping them to, to, to budget for that as well. So that's one of the, the, the things that we do. Um, that is, I mean, it's kind of, as, as I said earlier, Kellyanne doesn't really provide a kind of fixed term for support. So people may come, um, you know, we, we support survivors and then um, it might be that they feel um, confident enough, but then maybe later down the line, they come across an issue and they're always welcome to come back into contact with us. Um, but I think just to kind of um, kind of repeat the, the comment that I think Sam made earlier, that having those kind of those strong partnerships with banks mean that when issues do arise, um, or if we've got any concerns, I think it goes both ways. I know that um, HSBC, they um, monitor for safeguarding purposes. And also we can flag from our side if we've got concerns um, as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and from and, and in your perspective, what, what does a really successful financial inclusion programme for, for a bank look like? Um, I guess, um, again, kind of just echoing some of the kind of earlier comments, um, you know, the, the whole process, um, you know, can be really life changing for survivors, you know, walking into a bank and not being turned away. Um, I have been, you know, prior to HSBC developing their scheme, I have spent whole days trying to open accounts for people who, um, for circumstances beyond their control, don't have the requisite documents. And despite Kellyanne advocating on behalf um, of, of the, the survivor still being turned away and the, the the impact of that can be hugely, hugely damaging um, and in some cases can result in people think that they have no other option and can be at risk um, of being um, re-exploited. So I guess um, just uh, the, the best practice that's been demonstrated by HSBC so far in kind of um, creating an environment in which survivors can um, walk into a branch and um, be given a safe space in which to um, ask questions about how um, an account might work. For some um, of our clients, this is the first time they've ever had a bank account. They've never had one in their home country. Um, so the whole idea of having money kind of no longer working cash in hand and having money deposited into an account, knowing how um, uh, chip and pin operates, all of those sorts of things that we take for granted that people just know how, how, how to operate. Given that time to survivors in branch, um, is is you know really life changing and then as Sam said I've also been there when people have received that their, their post and have received their card and then they have to sign on the signature strip on the back all of that stuff it's you know it, it, I don't think f the financial sector should underestimate the impact of all of those things. Yeah absolutely and I guess um I mean, it, it's clear. Obviously, we're we're all aware of the, of the huge impact which um which can be had through these initiatives, and and it's been amazing to hear from from you, Avril and and Sam and Lara, um just some sort of 
practical examples of, of people who have gone through this and have had the, um, you know, benefited from the impact of this. Um, and I think the, the kind of question is now is for, for the financial industry, who are the key players in, in the organisations that, um, that we see and in, in the sector that can really lead this? Um, and Catherine, I wondered if, if perhaps you could give us a bit of an insight um, into your opinions on this and, and who you think those key players are that, that can really help to, to drive this forwards. Well, I think as this podcast has shown, you know, collaboration is key. Collaboration internally with your, you know, controls partners, fraud and fin crime in terms of your policies. You know, it's about engaging training teams. It's engaging frontline leadership. Um, so there's a whole there's a whole um, need to, to bring the whole organization on board with this you know get, getting we you know we've been really keen on getting senior leaders whether they're outside of the front line or across the bank involved in this and a really strong passionate internal adv a senior advocate can can be helpful um just to have a top up um top down and bottom bottom up approach the same, i mean that goes for, goes without saying for lots of initiatives but we've definitely done that with this and it's worked and we again we see really strong levels of engagement on this topic and this keenness to support um hence why we got involved with the um the un's finance against slavery and trafficking initiative last november and and hosted their launch event with the un in new york and um and I think externally as well, again, through the charities, um, there's there's so many different organisations. So it's not just like there's a one size fits all externally either. How can you diversify and probably tap in to different organisations? It looks like, you know, regionally that's important too. So I think that's something that, you know, I'll be, I'll be taking away to talk to the team about whilst we've got some really strong relationships with some core charities, is there more we could be doing to see what, what else? And again, not just with the charities, but law enforcement, government, having um, the opportunity to debate this at an uh, industry level so that we can achieve some consistency so that charities aren't getting mixed messages, consumers and customers, potential customers aren't getting mixed messages because it's confusing already. But if bank A does one thing, bank B does another, um, it's not helpful. So I think that's what FAST programme was trying to deliver as well. It's industry-wide consistency. And um, and I think that's you know something we should probably do more to promote through the charities that yes come come to Barclays we're here to support you it's not an, it's not a named account just you know come and talk to us we'd welcome the chance to be work with you based on your needs but also how do we promote this to customers there might be people who are not coming through the formal channels and are just trying to do some research how can we show them that we're open for business and well welcome them as well if you're not coming through the charity route Absolutely. I think that's so important. I know you mentioned earlier about how you see this very much as part of a whole um, vulnerability approach and, and a wider accessibility um, program. And I think that, um, you know, clearly building sort of resilient communities and, and helping to reduce wider vulnerabilities around financial um, inclusion for, for members of the community that aren't necessarily um, victims of trafficking or, or slavery, but may well be vulnerable to exploitation it's it's so important to to have that full full approach and, and the important thing is as well vulnerabilities don't exist in isolation if you're vulnerable in one way doesn't mean to say you're not vulnerable in another often there's a huge degree of overlap with these things as well which actually just brings me on to a final point i wanted to make around building financial health resilience and capability longer term so get, getting the bank account is very much the first step but actually you'd want to see somebody developing really strong financial health um, and and resilience you know how do how do they grow in their relationship with you to enable and achieve greater um independence you know and and the, i think that you know the the basic bank account is hopefully just just the start Absolutely. And I'm conscious that we are we're kind of coming close to an end, but just would love to hear on that point um, how you have been working across your whole vulnerability programme to, to help um, vulnerable individuals to build that financial help um, and, what, and what you've been doing there. Yeah. So, I mean, very much you've got to look at this holistically. Um, 
you might have circumstances that happen overnight, you know, hospitalization, car accident, things that can change your life. Or you might come in and through this sort of track where it's it's very much a longer term um, thing where you're you're a survivor and you're coming out of a life stage and need need support. So you've got to have a multi sort of pronged approach to this and access to finances, making payments, transactions is one thing, but then financial health and ensuring that somebody can have can budget, can live their life, can, um, you know, not just be um, in a negative cycle of financial vulnerability, but are actually um, trying to be more resi financially resilient um, and, and is, is what we're trying to aim for, um, I would say. So looking at it through um, a longer term view and obviously with, you know, in the likes of COVID, that's given us another way to look at some of these, these challenges, um, you know, uh, income shocks and things like that you know it's something that's really important that you can support customers um, so that they can be more resilient um, in, in the longer term yeah yes uh, and um, yeah I mean just lastly on, on that point Lou I wondered if you had anything to add in terms of um, you know for, for yourself who have been the key drivers in the organization um, you know to, to really help move these programs forward and and who do you think you know, who do we think we, that we need to kind of ignite, so to speak, to, to help within other organisations? I, to be fair, I think most of mine, I was just making notes as Catherine was talking there. I think we've probably got the same, it's the same yeah. areas. Um, you've got to engage compliance and risk. You've got to know what we're, you know, what our risk appetite there is and, and what we're willing to do, be able to do, you know, in some cases. Um, but I think, I, I do think that the key in this is senior leadership. I uh, There was no doubt that when Vanessa started the journey in 2018, um, the, the pushback was with compliance, risk, financial crime. They were the things we needed to look to mitigate. Um, once we'd all sat, like, sat down the table, did the proposal, um, got the CEO and the leadership team on board, it's the right thing to do. Um, and when, you know, once people can see past that stage, um, you're absolutely winning if you've got your senior leadership team on board. <laughs> um, and I think, again, the, the same for HSBC, as I'm sure these, these ladies all, all agree, is that the passion and the enthusiasm from the staff of just wanting to help is it, it always astounds me but it never stops amazing me on how much they just want to make a difference um and i think that that makes it so much easier to do this job when you've already got people that just say what am i doing how can i help bring it on um and, and i would say that they are the key players across any organization to, to help move this forward amazing yeah and uh, clearly again that comes back to that case around awareness and just you know making sure that everyone in the organization is aware and understands the importance of of these programs um well yeah well i mean yeah thank you again so much everyone for joining us i think the final thing that we wanted to um wanted to do was just to go around and um and see if what everyone had if they if they had one message or call to action for the financial industry to to help build stronger, um, more financially healthy and resilient communities and to support survivors, um, what would it be? And what would your <laughs> recommendations be? Um, so I, I think if we, if we start um, with Sam uh, and then we can go through and, and just, um, yeah, again, if you have anything else that you want to add um, before we kind of wrap things up, then be great to, to hear. Of course, I think, I think I've said most of the recommendations that I'd want to say already. I think for me, my job is always to bring it back to the survivors and the support that they need and sort of looking at the outcomes that we're sort of seeing. So if it's OK, I have a quote from I think it is that client, actually, the first client, um, just to kind of bring it home from the support provider perspective um, anyway, from Migrant Help. So. He actually said to us, um, I went to the appointment with Sam. We met another lady who asked why I wanted to open the account. I said, so I can have my wages put in. When I started working, I found it really good. The lady at the bank completed some things on the computer. And before I knew it, it was all done. The bank account has already benefited me. I'm able to put my wages into the account and go to any shop and pay for things on my card if I don't have cash. 
I'm really glad I have an account now. Um, so for me, it's just kind of reminding of the positive stories that we already have um, from obviously starting our relationships with HSBC and starting to make relationships with Barclays too. Um, and I think it's just to emphasise to continue to work with providers, with the charities, um, to seeing how best we think um, that those clients can be supported because obviously we don't know everything about the, the finance world. Um, our expertise is in support, um, you know, with those clients. So it's about working together. Thanks, Sam. Um, Lara, if you'd like to um, follow. Yeah, really similar. Um, just to say to always keep the survivor at the centre of every development and every idea that is um, created. I think um, within Snowdrop, we're really keen on trauma-informed um, practice. So just making sure that within training for those frontline staff is an element of, uh, of trauma-informed training um, to allow people to engage with survivors who are coming in and potentially are afraid or worried about what's going to happen and knowing how to how to deal with that and has been mentioned by a number um, on the call so far just to say um, have that long-term view as well setting up the bank account is incredible and empowering um, and a massive first step but then looking at the individual needs of that person and working out how that financial inclusion will help long term in the management of money um, and and just that knowledge around safe practices so not being retargeted how to know if somebody is trustworthy um, when you give over money don't give over money and um, people have talked about setting up direct debits so those kind of things where people just eventually feel far more in control um, of their finances and you know the long term goal is that they don't need support anymore that they totally live independently and are that the risk of re-exploitation is is so small because they have that new uh, level of independence and empowerment that's come from that kind of joint working and support that's been that's been done so those would be my those would be my takeaways thank you lara um before we pass on to avril i know sam you've got a little something you wanted to add yeah, it was just to add um, in terms of the clients that this is regarding, just a reminder really that it's also British nationals. We're seeing a huge increase in the number of British nationals that we're supporting due to criminal exploitation now who also don't always have bank accounts. They're extremely vulnerable adults um, that we've been assisting and there's been lots of issues around um, debt as well with regards to British nationals. So it's just a a reminder that with regards to trafficking and modern slavery in the branches, it's not just in relation to those um, who are migrants, it's also British nationals here as well. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and thank you for, for flagging that. Um, Avril, if you um, have anything to add? Um, I think if, if I mean, you mentioned, Lara, about building um, stronger, resilient communities. So, I think one of the great things about HSBC scheme is that they've kind of adapted to and responded to the fact that, um, you know, survivors as a vulnerable group um, will have struggled for a very long time to be able to access financial services. Um, and um, whilst I know this, um, this this podcast is is talking about survivors of slavery, there are other um, communities out there that are vulnerable. Um, as Catherine mentioned, you might not have one single, um, you know, vulnerability. There may be overlapping ones. Um, and as everyone knows on this on this call, anyone can be uh, anyone can become a, a victim of trafficking through their circumstances. So I think my kind of if I can only have one ask, um, it would have to be quite a broad one to kind of call on the financial sector to um, be able to be flexible and pragmatic when they respond to um, people who come into branch and might not be able to meet the requirements through perhaps no no kind of fault of their own just being alert to that thank you avril um, and yeah finally just uh, catherine having you know made the made the first sort of steps and and started working on these programs um, what would you say to other financial um, institutions that are looking to to follow your lead um, just talk about it, Talk, keep talking about it, raising awareness um, in many different ways, 
um, start st sharing stories, you know, hearing from survivors is so powerful um, and bringing that, bringing that to life, what it can mean and how to spot the signs, the different ways this plays out. Um, it's, it's illuminating and it is also evolving. Um, it's not one sort of thing, you know, what we do see changes in the way it plays out. So it, it's really important to start looking, keep looking at what the current trends are and, and just keep talking about it and keep raising awareness. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, and finally, Lou, if you want to um, to round us up with your call to action to um, other financial <laughs> institutions. <laughs> I, again, you know, uh, everything everybody said, um, but I would uh, I think what I would feel is is that it's probably easy for me to say um, one or two banks are doing it. So let's have everyone follow suit. Um, it seems an easy line. It's not necessarily that easy to do appreciating things like banks risk appetites and their policies procedures and and although ourselves and Barclays have have got through that as Catherine says you need to keep talking you need to explain to people things that are happening and that's where things then move forward if if we could do that and people can get through those barriers it would give us a greater confidence um the, the public would get a greater confidence of the the financial sector helping us all then to help the survivors move forward absolutely um well thank you again thank you all so much and i think we've covered um we've covered a lot of really important ground and obviously there is many more discussions and conversations to be had and we're really excited to to see where your work goes um, and and how you know how much of an impact that that you've created um already and you know it'll be great to keep in touch with you all as, as the programs progress um and yeah we look forward to um to speaking again soon um but yeah, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. We hope you found it interesting and informative. If you would like to find out more about Themis, get in touch with us via our website, www.crime.financial. You can also subscribe for future news and interviews.